Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. When I was talking to the judge, he had to be faced with the reality of like a, a life he had forced you on. Yeah, yeah. he had to see the person that he, his decisions were impacting. Lawyers and judges get to talk to each other about, you know, the future of children in custody battles without having to ever consider the actual children. And they say that it's for the interest of the children, but if they had actually talked to us, they would know what we wanted. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions and organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're listening only and you want to see our faces, go to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, where you can interact with us in the comments. Uh, you can like, you can subscribe, hit that bell so you don't miss any episodes. And uh, we have a lot going on over there. So today's guests, plural, this is going to be such a fun and interesting episode. It's one that I was wanting from the beginning, so I'm so happy that they agreed. We are bringing someone back. You probably saw Javi's story. She left the Hasidic community, and she went through her story as a mom, how she had to live between both different lifestyles, court-ordered. Everyone was super frustrated about the judge and the way that it was handled. And so now we get to talk to Javi's daughter as well. So I'm so happy to welcome to the show Javi and Ruby. Hi. Uh, we're so thrilled to be here. Um, thank you so much for having me back and for inviting my kid, Ruby, to the show. Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Ruby. I actually use they, them pronouns. So I would consider myself my mom's child rather than daughter. But Oh, okay, great. I think that I've lived with daughter for a long time, so you don't have to worry about it. Well, I appreciate the clarification. I wanted to start with a few comments because people loved your story and I just thought it would be a great way to start off. First of all, I have to say thank you so much for the super thanks pie. You said thank you for all of your interesting videos. I love how kind you are. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And a few comments on Javi's video. We have from Bela. And I really liked this one because as we mentioned in the other episode, a million disclaimers that this is specific to Javi's story. No, it is not blanket statement in an entire group of people. That's never our intention here. It's just to elevate the voices of people in their stories so that everyone kind of has a, a better overview of what's going on in the world. So I really liked this comment. She says... As a modern Orthodox Jew, it's so crazy how the same creed can be taken to such extremes. I'm so thankful I grew up in a moderate, open, and spiritual Jewish environment where I actually got to enjoy my religion and allow it to enhance my life instead of ruin and restrict it. And I just thought it was important to highlight her comment because, one, it was very respectful, and I absolutely appreciate that. I never shut down arguments from the other side if they are kind and respectful, and I think it's good to have open dialogue about this. So I just wanted to highlight that while we talk about overarching groups of people, there are different experiences within all of them. So another one 
from MM. As someone who bore witness to Javi's struggles and someone who left the Hasidic community myself and raising my 16-year-old outside of the confines of fundamentalism, I'm in constant awe of Javi and the strength that was required to come through this so successfully with so much grace. Javi is one of the most beautiful, mindful, skillful people I've ever been fortunate to meet, and seeing her kids come into their own has been a gift as well. Thank you, Javi, for sharing your story so selflessly and for giving your children the gift of freedom. Oh my goodness, my heart. that's so sweet. Oh my gosh, that's so, so nice. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a really beautiful comment, and it got 491 likes, so clearly as people agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and now we have from Perfect Nails. This will lead us right into our conversation. OMG, when she talked about her 20-year-old going to college and exploring relationships and themselves as opposed to being forced into a marriage and having babies like she was at that age, I just felt all the work she did that paid off for her and her children. And that has 76 likes. So let's get into it. Uh, We can do like a really quick recap. Javi, I don't know if you want to give us a little bullet point outline of what we talked about in your previous episode. So those who haven't seen it don't feel left out. And then, of course, if you guys want to pause this and go back and listen to Javi's first episode, you're more than welcome just to get more additional content or context. Uh, Yeah, let me try to... uh put an hour-long conversation into five, two minutes. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? No big deal. No big deal. 40 years of life. Um, so I was raised in an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic community in Rockland County, which is kind of upstate-ish New York. Not really upstate. Don't come come for me. It's an hour north of New York City. Um, I am the fifth of 10 children. And when I was 18, I was set up to be married in an arranged marriage with someone I didn't know. And by the time I was 20, I had my first baby who's here with me today. And then I had two more children. And when I was 25, I divorced my husband at the time. And I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. The years after the divorce were spent really figuring out what kind of life I wanted to create for myself and these three beautiful babies. And by the time I was 30, I had clarity around the person that I am, the values that I have, and my desire to share them with my children and bring them, you know, raise them in a world where they where they got to fully experience the world through the lens of the values that were important to me. Um, Their father didn't like that. And so for the past 11 years, I've been embroiled in an intense custody battle with him. I initially lost custody of my children and it was a horrible time and it was a very dark time where I had to pretend to be religious around my children and I legally was obligated to hide parts of myself and not share who I am with them. And ultimately, um, I appealed that decision and in a landmark case, won the right to raise my children as my full self, um, including, this includes my queer identity, my atheist identity, um, And so the past few years have been really meaningful and beautiful of slowly transitioning my children outside of the thinking from the fundamentalist state uh, community we were raised into, um, giving them permission to explore their own ideas of what life should look like and um, pursue a life of their choice. And now my eldest is 20 years old. They're here with me today, and they're so cool and awesome, and I'm just so excited for the world to get to hear Ruby talk about what this was like for them. Oh, 
I love that so much. And you did a fantastic job of condensing an hour-long conversation into a couple minutes, way better than I would have done. So thank you for that. So I think what a lot of people were curious about, and at least me too, was wondering what it was like for your kids when you had to share custody. So you said that you would have them Monday through Wednesday and then Thursday through Sunday they were with their dad, right? Correct. Yeah. So I guess I wanted to hear from Ruby what that was like because during that time is when you weren't allowed to fully be yourself and express your true feelings about, like you said, religion, your values. And and you did a great job, by the way, of kind of sneaking in your values without outright saying, which if you're wondering about that, go watch the previous video. Um, so, Ruby, what was that like during that time period where you had to split the week between your parents? Yeah. Um, I mean, okay, I want to like disclaimer first to say that like um my all of the things I'm going to be saying are kind of like stuff I might have repressed from my past and it's kind of muddy. A lot of parts of my childhood are like fuzzy in my brain. So, this is just like the things, you know, that I remember and the way that I remember them. Yeah, um, it was difficult. It was um, definitely like a double life split identity um, situation because, you know, there's these two vastly different worlds that I'm going between. And I always had this desire to like do a really good job in both of those worlds. And so I think that my like desire to fit in in both of these worlds kind of created like this double identity mm. where I was um, a nice from little girl in my dad's house and then like repressing all of my personal interests and things that you know I couldn't express and then um, in my mom's house the secular world was opening up to me but like in small tidbits do you remember anything specifically that you had to kind of shut down or any specific interests or hobbies that you had mentioned? Yeah. Um, it's funny. The first thing that comes to mind is my cat. We had a pet cat whose name was Sean Elbow. We called him Schnelbo. And, <laughs> um, and I don't even know why pets are forbidden in the community. I don't know if they're forbidden, but mm. they're very strongly like discouraged and not allowed um and none of my classmates had pets so I was you know always kind of paranoid about having like pet hair on my uh my clothes and it's hard when you're wearing a navy pleated skirt and navy like cotton tights that tend to show cat hair very strongly so I was always picking that off yeah yeah there was always like these moments where I'd like for I'd forget and I'd slip up and I'd mention something about the cat or one of the various like it was a whole new world was opening up to me outside of school and when stuff like that would come up in conversation I'd like come up with creative little ways to like sneak them sneak my interest in there but always be like kind of paranoid that people were on my trail there was definitely like a character that I was creating it was like coping mechanism because it was you know I was hiding all of this stuff yeah. I would love to get into your mindset a little bit deeper because I'm wondering if you felt like you were Hasidic living in a secular world or non-Hasidic living in a Hasidic world. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, because you initially were raised Hasidic. And so when you when your mom took you out of the Hasidic community, at least a little bit, because she couldn't completely take you out initially. Were you upset by that or were you excited by that? What was going through your mind at that time? So this is also where it gets kind of muddy because I don't remember. It was um, Mm. I was really young and. So I, I've been told that I was a little resistant to it at first because, again, I was such a good little from kid um, that it kind of makes sense for me to have, like, fought back a little. But what I remember was being really excited about all of these new things that I was learning, mm. um, like jeans and pop culture and stuff. It was all really exciting for me. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's complicated, but I think that children are really adaptable and that's something that like, I wish that people understood more when they were trying to like, people were always trying to shelter us. Mm. And this is not just like the community. There's like the judges and things. There's like a big emphasis on maintaining status quo, but we were actually super, you know, adaptable, everything like the whole world is really new to you when you're a kid. So everything was really exciting and we loved learning and we'd go on like adventures to, um, I don't know, the park. I remember the Brooklyn, the like bridge park. I don't know what it's called. Brooklyn Bridge Park. Yeah. (laughs) For some reason that stands out in my mind. But like every trip we took was just like us exploring the world. It didn't feel like a new set of values being forced upon us. It was like, here, open your eyes and and look what's around you that you might have been sheltered from. So it definitely, I definitely felt, and then, you know, later when I understood more that there was like different sets of values being taught to me from different parents, I was, I definitely identified more with the secular um, life set, mindset, and I felt like I was a secular kid and forced in a Hasidic world. Yeah. But, but yeah, at first it was very, it wasn't, it didn't it didn't feel like a disconnect yeah that makes a lot of sense because like you said you were just being exposed to more things yeah. so it wasn't necessarily infringing on your previous ways javi what was it like watching ruby kind of bloom into this excitement and i'm sure it must have been difficult as well because you still weren't able to fully show everything because you were restricted legally so what was that like kind of observing ruby grow into this new person um i just was always so proud of ruby um they the thing about you know raising kids who are cooler than you is that <laughs> It's it's like a constant like check on myself. Like I thought I am, you know, out here learning new things and like bringing them to my children. But, um, you know, I, I'll I remember this very specific moment with Ruby. Um, you'll tell me if you're not comfortable with the fact of me sharing this afterwards, and we can cut it if you're not comfortable. <laughs> okay. But um, when the kids were younger, I uh, remember trying to talk to them about gender and sexuality and kind of broadening their thinking around all of it. And I remember I used the game of life as a way to help broaden their perspective on it. So like when we would play the game, we'd be like, oh, but you can put two mommies in the car <laughs> and you can put two daddies or just a mommy and three kids or yeah. this was a mommy. But now they're saying they're a daddy. And so there was this a way of kind of... Um, make normalizing something that wasn't they didn't get to experience in the world around them very much because of how sheltered we were and so Mm. you know I thought I was doing this delicate little dance and then I remember this one time we were 
in Manhattan for some reason. We were we needed directions for how to get somewhere. And I asked Ruby, who was like nine years old at the time. Um, I, I told Ruby, maybe we should ask this guy for help. It was like a security person. And Ruby said, why are you assuming that that's a guy? <laughs> and oh my! God. And that's when the child became the teacher. The student became the teacher. Um, and so, uh-huh. you know, they, their minds are so incredibly um, capable of fresh thinking when they're that young. And, and my children were just such quick learners. And like I said, um, miles ahead of me, like as I was making baby steps to undo things I've been learning for 30 years, my children were, mm-hmm. um, you know, growing up with it. And so they're, they were able to kind of broaden their minds in ways that were so beautiful to witness. And I was just so proud to watch them come into themselves. Yeah. Are you okay with us leaving yeah. that in, Ruby? I don't even remember that happening. Okay, but good. that's sweet. <laughs> That is such a beautiful story, and I love that so much. And I guess what I'm wondering and what other people are probably wondering is, did you feel, Ruby, like you were suppressing a part of yourself until your mom showed you that there's other options, there's other ways of being? And if so, at what age do you feel like you truly came into your identity? I don't know that I've ever come into my identity fully. To be honest, it's always been like a exploration. I'm I've, I'm always on a journey of like trying new things and figuring it out kind of. Um, but I don't think that I would say I was suppressing my identity so much as I was playing a role. Um, it didn't really feel like me. None of it felt like me. I felt like I had created this identity um, around the expectations of the people in my life whose validation I wanted. Like, you know, parents, teachers, and things, because there are such strong, you know, there's so many rules, there's such high expectations, it's easy to almost create your identity around following rules. Um, because that's that's enough in that community. You, didn't, you don't need to have like uh, an identity outside of being a good student. That's, that's enough. So that was who I was for a long time. Um, uh, so it wasn't, you know, I wasn't really thinking about gender or about myself at all. I was thinking about the people in my life that expected a lot from me and how to please them. Um, And I think that gender was, I mean, I've always been kind of like fluid. I don't know. The one thing I remember is being a flannels kid. I really liked flannels when I was a kid, but I didn't really (laughs) like think that was any kind of gender specifier. I just kind of felt... um, like I liked flannels. And I think that the the point where I started equating it with gender and like realizing that it, this was, that there's a word for, you know, this kind of fluidity that I'd always experienced. Um, that was more recent. That was like three, four years ago. Yeah, that was like kind of when my world was opened even more when I started going to public school and, you know, experiencing you know, all of the ways that I could be. But I think that growing up in like a place with where there's so many like, there's such strong gender norms. There's like the gender roles exist on such a strong, overarching way. The 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 gender norms kind of create like you're, if you're born as a woman, if you're assigned female as birth, at birth, your entire life is kind of 
laid out to you and like mm-hmm. there's a path for you that looks one particular way. If you're um, assigned male at birth, it looks a whole nother way. I always knew that I wasn't, I didn't fit within, I mean, I didn't fit within either of those, but I definitely didn't fit within the female path of like getting married and having babies and being like a supporting character. Because right. there was, there's such big emphasis in like, you know, I went to an all girls school and everything we were taught was about how to be a good wife and a good mother. That was like, there's so much emphasis on like being, you know, that that's what you're being raised to become. And that was definitely, I I very much did not resonate with that. And I think that was the beginning of the gender disconnect. It's funny because I think that in some ways being in like a really oppressive gendered environment opened my eyes to what gender could be. When I rejected all of the strict rules that I grew up with, that came along with rejecting these gender norms that Mm. were enforced all of my life. And I saw that I could be whatever I wanted. And and that's not just, you know, any kind of girl I wanted. It was like I could be any kind of person. And that's kind of where I am at with gender. I'm exploring what it's like to try um, try on different characters because, you know, there was only one character when I was a kid. And what actually feels like me, and I'm I'm finding the pieces that stick and feel right. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. When you were being taught these lessons as a child about what your expected roles were as a woman, um, as far as you're expected to get married and have children right away, you said that that made you uncomfortable. Would you be able to expand a little bit as far as what's going through your mind and if at that point you were more excited to lean towards what your mom was teaching you as far as knowing that, okay, well, if I just pretend that I'm going to do it, maybe in a couple years I won't have to. Is that kind of what you were going through? Yeah. <laughs> I think that I always felt kind of outside of it. I I like I knew I was going to leave from a pr- pretty early mm-hmm. on. As soon as I like n- I saw there was an outside there was another option. I was like, yeah, we're going to do that. Um, and I, I never, I didn't really look like too closely. I didn't really like examine what that would look like after I left. But I always knew that the path that I was on in the community wasn't mine. Um, I remember being mm-hmm. like in the lunchroom and some of the kids were talking about what they would name their future kids. This is like in third or fourth grade. Little tiny babies. Oh wow! Talking about yeah, what their future babies' names would be. I, I was very contrarian, also as a kid, like re- a little rebel. I would be like, "Well, what if you didn't have kids?" And th- that was like such a mind blowing idea for them. It was so outside of the the anything they'd ever learned that people were like, "No, ew, that's weird. I don't even know." Like, <laughs> I was always made fun of, or not made fun of, but it like people would saw saw me as somebody who loved to argue because I would say things that were so outside of their world. Um, But yeah, I definitely was like thinking about the different paths that I could live. Do you think that that's because you had 
or have a mom who was very challenging of certain things and allowed you to think bigger and gave you that kind of fire? Because I feel like you're very similar, both of you. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We are very similar. And I definitely like learned a lot from my mom. I think that some of my favorite qualities of myself, of uh, some of my favorite qualities in myself are things I've learned from you. Oh, that's so sweet. And how did this make you feel, Javi, when you see Ruby, who is, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but I want to get into a little bit more, when Ruby is really expressing herself and being that little feisty ball of fire, and you're like, yes, that's my that's my child right there, right? Being, uh, uh, testing the boundaries, I guess you could say, and knowing that eventually they won't have to be confined into this little box. Like, what's going through your mind as you see this progress? You know, it's interesting because I think at the time I didn't see them as rebellious. I think they were they weren't. Mm. They weren't. They they were actually brilliant at um making sure that they were safe in every environment they were in. So like in school, they were getting good grades. Mm. They they were fitting in with their friends. They weren't breaking the rules. Like I they, never got in trouble. I was very good at fitting in. Right. And they were incredible at it, almost to, to a fault. That worried me more. I sometimes wondered, like, are they pushing back enough? Are they feeling a little too safe in this? And 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 while I wanted them to fit in and feel safe and have community while they were there, I didn't want them to be um, miserable while they were at school or while they were at their dad's house. There was always a concern for me of like, are they too comfortable? Um, Because I wanted a bigger future for them, which is what I was fighting for. Um, And at the same time, there were like moments, and and like I said, you know, Ruby is a complex person with all, all the different sides. So they were like fitting in beautifully. And also there were moments where I remember one time Ruby came home and said, there's a a kid on the school bus that's annoying them. You know, a little girl on the bus who's always trying to sit next to them. And Ruby's like, I'm annoyed with this this kid who's just being, (laughs) you know, just asking too much of me. And, you know, I want to hang out with my friends and I don't want to always be talking to her, but she's always clinging to me. And (laughs) my first instinct was to say, be nice, like the way I was raised, you know, like especially girls are told, be nice, be be kind to your to this poor little girl who doesn't have friends. Um, But then when I sat with that a little bit, like I later that evening, I went back to Ruby and I was like, actually, maybe that's not the right answer for this. Maybe the answer is you matter and you're allowed to say no and set boundaries with people respectfully and kindly. Um, And so you know, how can you take care of yourself and prioritize your needs on the school bus while also being kind to this little girl? And Ruby did a beautiful job of that. They went back to, to like, it was like a summer camp. It was day camp. Day camp, yeah. And, you know, and they like were like clear with this girl being like, well, today I think I need to sit by myself, but I do want to make sure we spend some time together. Let's figure out when's mm-hmm. a good time. And um, so there were these things of like kind of making life uh comfortable in the community while also slowly fi- developing a backbone and shaping their own identity. And they, they did such yeah. a beautiful job of that. And look at who they are today. So it worked. Yeah. <laughs> I There was a, something that I didn't bring up in your last interview, Javi, that I 
was wondering about when you had that period of time and maybe you could clarify how long it was where you had the split custody and the kids were spending half their time with you and half with their dad and you had to also conform to the Hasidic lifestyle during that period of time were the kids able to go to secular school with you or did they always have to remain in the Hasidic school? Excellent question. So I think it was approximately six years, that whole period of time that we're talking about. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And um, no, so the children, the the children's father had custody during that time and also educational custody. So custody gets divided into all these different buckets and he had educational custody. He actually Mm. still has educational custody till today. Um, So the children were attending Hasidic schools up until two years ago. And the only reason they switched out was because they got old enough to kind of demand to get the, what they what they wanted out of that. And you might want to ask Ruby, who was a trendsetter for all the other children, for both of the other children, yes. um, what that was like. Because Ruby really, um, you know, demanded to speak to the judge and make that change for themselves, which led to the others being empowered to do the same. Yes, that's amazing. I did want to go there because I was so curious how, Ruby, you mentioned once you got into secular school, that's when you really started opening your eyes even more to the outside world and your options. So first, I want to talk about now that you have a different perspective and you're able to see how the Hasidic schools may have differed from the uh, public schools, what are some of the things that you felt, if any, that were missing Or what are some of the things that you enjoyed about the Hasidic school that you couldn't get in public school? The school that I went to, the Hasidic school, was definitely a much more specific education, meaning it was missing a lot of pieces. I was just talking about this with my friends this weekend. We were all discussing um, our favorite classes and... They, they were all like saying all of the like cool art classes and um, gym stuff and like just other extracurricular classes that they t- they had that they enjoyed. And we didn't have any of those things um, except like sometimes in art class. We didn't have a lot of like emphasis on like creativity or just general like broadening your knowledge right it was like the english subjects that we learned were all regent subjects so that we could get the government money um from the regents and then half the day was spent learning hebrew subjects so we didn't have like a really broad education if it was six years i assume that you would have been old enough to kind of start to see that things may have been missing if you were also spending time with your mom in the secular world. At that point, you clocked that something wasn't up to your liking or if you wanted to expand and just didn't have the opportunity. And then eventually after that, we can get to once you got into public school, how you felt when you changed. Yeah, there was definitely always like a I I didn't like feel I didn't feel right at the school that I was in. I felt really isolated from my friends. I wasn't um, really connected with anybody, even though I had lots of friends. I'm a very outgoing person and I love making friends, but it felt like I was lying to all of them. Like I, you know, I wasn't able to be my full true self. Um, So that was really difficult. And I also like really struggled with the Hebrew subjects, even though I was like a good student and I got good grades. Um, it was hard for me. Like I didn't, it's a whole nother language. It's Hebrew and Yiddish was easy 
because I grew up with it, but Hebrew was kind of more difficult. And we spent a lot of time just learning all of these things that I, I kind of knew pretty early on that it wouldn't be my life. And so it didn't feel like it mattered. Um, and that was actually like a big point of tension in high school. And part of the reason I ended up leaving in 11th grade, I kind of failed one of my Hebrew classes. And my principal, who was also my great aunt, oh wow, called me into her office. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny, funny scenario. Um, she called me into her office and was like, um, why are you failing? And I was super honest with her. And I told her that I don't see myself living my life according to the rules that I'm studying. And so it's really hard for me to be spending all this energy, like, you know, memorizing these laws that I just don't feel right and they don't apply. Um, because the subject that I failed was halacha, which is like the laws kind of of living. And they're all like super specific, like, you know, kosher stuff and um, Shabbos and how to like make sure that you're doing it perfectly. And um, it didn't, it, I, I knew at that point very clearly, I mean, I was 11th grade, I, I really was grown kind of, I mean, I'm not grown, I'm a baby. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like at that point I had enough, you know, information to know that this wasn't going to be my future. And so it was really hard to like devote all of my energy to kind of mm. doing something that didn't matter. Um, so I failed the class. And then when I tell her that I, it, I didn't see myself staying in the community, her reaction was, we've got to get you to talk to a rabbi. And then so the next couple months of my 11th grade school year was her calling up me out of class continuously um, for like hours to talk to me and to force me to talk to rabbis, which I told her I was uncomfortable with. And mm -hmm. I think that was also like a really clear point where I realized that like it wasn't about my education. She was calling me out of class, you know, keeping me outside of what my education would actually be to make sure that I was staying in the community and to put me in positions with like grown men, rabbis that made me really uncomfortable. Um, mm. And I think at that point I was like, that was really a breaking point when I was like, that this is not, you know, something that I can keep, keep doing even to just appease other people. Like this is, this is harmful and dangerous and I, at that point I like I knew I wanted to go to college and there was no there was no preparation for that at all like we were spending most of our days learning um Hebrew studies and and then whatever we needed for the regents but it wasn't like you know preparation for classes in college it was like let's make sure you pass the regents and um and I felt really unprepared for the real world and the world the future that I wanted and and um, leading to the part where I spoke to a judge, um, I was kind of like, this is not working for me. I'm spending hours every day f arguing with my principal and crying to her about why I shouldn't have to talk to rabbis. Um, that's not an education. That is like a miserable way to spend your time. And so when COVID happened, I think that was kind of the the like weirdly randomly wonderful excuse to change things up because it was an I think it was one of those moments where the outside world could see very clearly that 
this wasn't like a safe educational environment. They were, my school was doing um, classes like in people's basements and like without masks and stuff. And um, when when there was like actual um, like isolation period, they would have like hotlines, but no actual classes. So there wasn't any like learning going on. And um, I was just kind of floating around for a while. And that was when I requested to speak to a judge because I care about my education and my future. Yeah. And um, I think it was it was funny almost, kind of laughable, but in a sad way. Um, how like when I was talking to the judge, he had to be faced with the reality of like a, a life he had forced you on. Yeah. Yeah. Like he kind of he had to see the person that he, his decisions were impacting because a lot of the times they're just, you know, lawyers and judges get to talk to each other about, you know, the future of of children in custody battles um, without having to ever consider the actual children. Um, and they say that it's for the interest of the children, but if they had actually talked to us, they would know what we wanted. Um, and we we made it really clear every time we had a chance, you know, um, but they didn't talk to us. Um, and then I was 17 and I think that he was kind of forced to look a, a grown young person, grown, not grown, <laughs> young person mm -hmm. in the eye. And you can't tell that person that their education and their future doesn't matter. And I made it really clear that mm -hmm. I wanted to go to the public school and that I wanted to go to college. And, um, and so he said that I could. And, and, and yeah, and then I went to City As, which um, is the coolest school ever. Just like a shout out to City As. That's amazing. Javi, you must have been so proud at that moment. Like, were you able to be there? Well, I mean, probably because she was a minor. Like, what, paint, paint us a picture from your perspective, watching Ruby get up and stand up in front of a judge and say, no, I don't want the way that you forced me into. So as a matter of fact, I was not allowed to be in the room with Ruby when they were meeting what? with the judge. They did something called an in-camera. Um, and also, uh, keep in mind, this is in COVID, so it was all like on Zoom or Google Meets oh, or whatever, okay. whatever the courts were yeah. using. Um, so it was... Um, behind closed doors, I was not allowed to be there. The The point of this was so that the the judge can get clarity from Ruby's perspective of what just what Ruby wants. And because this, this whole custody battle had become this ridiculous he said, she said, where my ex was saying that, you know, I'm brainwashing these children, the children don't want this, and I'm forcing them into this life. And me saying, I literally just want the children to get choices and to have a voice of their own. Um, and so... At this point, Ruby being 17 and saying, standing up for themselves and saying, hey, this is what I want. Um, I wasn't in the room and that uh, gave them actually the power to, to be able to clarify that once and for all. This is not, they're not being brainwashed. They're not being forced to believe anything. They are just begging yeah. for permission to have some choices for themselves. Um, I was super proud. To go back to your actual question, I was so proud of Ruby and inspired by them. And, um, you know, I always say, you know, I, ma I made these changes for myself when I was 30 years old. It took me 30 years to like open my eyes and be like, oh, wait, I need to speak truth to power. Um, and here's my child 
standing, you know, standing up for themselves and setting a path for their younger siblings to to have permission to speak up and to speak out and to say, I have a right to live my life by my own values. Um, and so yeah. it's it's just so powerful. And I um I just uh really I'm inspired by Ruby and the choices that they make every yeah. day. Oh, if I were you, I'd have had my ear to the door like, yeah, get him, <laughs> tell him. <laughs> That's awesome. Ruby, what was public school like when you got there? Was it a total shock? Were you kind of prepared for it? Had you done research as to what it might be like? I'm sure, Javi, you tried to fill her in on some of the differences, if you were aware of some of the differences. Um, I, No, it was totally a shock. It was, I mean... I had read books about school, about public school. I'd watched some movies. But no, it was nothing could prepare me for the humans and experiences I would have. I mean, they were so completely different from anything I'd grew up grown up with. But so exciting. I um I was like a little puppy. I would come to school in like tutus and like <laughs> the craziest outfits, like always the most color and glitter because I was I had a uniform in my old school. So and I have so much to express, you know, so I was like, yeah, yeah. I can wear whatever I want. And everybody else is wearing like their black little emo outfits. And I'm like <laughs> bright and colorful and swirly and being like, oh, my God, hi. Tell me everything about yourself. <laughs> that was kind of a cool experience. And I've always loved like humans. So it wasn't like it wasn't shocking in a bad way. It was shocking in a wow I I like yeah kind of just I was taking it all in I was a sponge ready to soak it all up um and it was kind of weird because it was COVID so there wasn't like it wasn't a typical public school experience either um and City As is is different from most schools because it's a transfer school so they've got like internships they do like internships to give you credit um, and some classes, but they're all like kind of creative. Um, but yeah, I really like, I thrived and was blossoming and like, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like it was, it was a really wonderful time period. I think about it fondly. Yeah. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but are there any standout moments specifically that you can think back to where Either you were just floored and excited that you had this opportunity or where you're like, holy crap, I was not ready for this because I feel unprepared. Oh, my God. All the time. Like every day. Every day was like that. Um, I remember my first couple internships. They were so cool. I was like – I was so excited about every opportunity that I got. Um, I worked at this photography studio and was like doing um, – like in a dark room kind of playing around with the chemicals and stuff. And it was also like new and exciting. I'd, I'd done like a the FIT thing, but it was different. Anyway, um, the I was like so excited about learning new things. I would stay like way after hours, wouldn't take lunch breaks, like all that kind of silly stuff because it was all really like everything's so new and I'm so eager to learn. Um, and then there was also like the constant terrifying, I don't know what the I'm doing and like I don't know how emails work or like how to use Google calendar Google invite I don't know like it was all I needed help with all of the technical stuff and it was kind of it, that part was like really difficult because it was like um all of the other students had 
um, had, you know, experience with, that's like how school works. You do your assignments in Google Docs or I don't even remember, the classroom, Google Classroom. And, um, and I was like, I don't know how, what buttons do I press? And if I couldn't figure it out, I would kind of freeze up. Like my coping mechanism was like to put it away and ignore it. And that would stress me out even more. Um, but luckily my mom was like super helpful. And the city has staff, like my school, they were like, honestly, like I can't imagine a smoother transition for me. Like if I'd gone to any other school, I would have probably been like flailing and, you know, falling apart a little. Um, but they were so sweet. Like they let me do my assignments on paper. If I couldn't figure out the computer stuff, they let me like, they held my hand throughout it all. Yeah. And I, it's still difficult. Like I'm, I'm going to college next year and I'm, I'm really scared that I won't know how to do all this. Like, you know, like, I don't know how to reach out to my advisor and do all the grown up stuff, but I, I definitely have more practice now that I've had that in between stage. I think that my original plan when I was like in seventh grade to just graduate from my from my religious high school and go straight to college, that was a silly plan. And I'm really glad that that's not how it worked out and that I ended up um, getting that in-between transition stage. It was really important for me. Well, even just spending this little bit of time with you, I can say I have full confidence that you will figure it out and dominate. So <laughs> I have, yes, of course. I'm curious about how you were introduced to social media and if that shook your world because I can understand and this is from my understanding yeah. that in Hasidic communities you aren't allowed to be on social media is mm -hmm. that correct yeah. Oh, yeah okay so I can understand from one side thinking well it's probably better that kids aren't on social media and mm -hmm. it's been proven to hurt self-esteem and create all these other issues and screen time and and all that yeah but on the other hand, it's such a great way to be social and express yourself and have fun with photography or video and be creative and all of that. So when you were able to finally have social media, mm -hmm. what was your opinion on it? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm such a like, I, I love the internet. And that's like a rare view because most people are kind of... Um, you know, over the internet, which is fair too, because there's a lot of yucky things. But I think that um, being a person that was like kind of sheltered from the world, it, it's so exhilarating. Even now, like I've been on social media for like three years now, a little longer, but like, it's still so fun for me to like explore and discover all of the world. Like the internet is so powerful. And, and like, I just think about people that are in all kinds of trapped environments, um, you know, a tool like that can open your whole world and change your life. I don't know. I wish that people would remember that it's just a tool. It's not inherently bad or good. It's like it's it's got the potential to really fuck you up. And, you know, and it's I it's also like because it's so overwhelming, it's it's definitely got an overwhelming potential to, you know, hurt your brain and be used in a negative way. But it's really just a tool. It's also got so much positive potential. Yeah, I remember um, my friend Juno, who um, is my upstairs was my upstairs neighbor growing up. She introduced me to social media. She also left the community in a similar time that we did, and we kind of like 
explored the interwebs together. She showed me, she held my hand. She showed me like YouTube stuff. She showed me, um, yeah, YouTube videos and like we would we do karaoke together. And then she helped me set up my first Instagram. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, I could just post photos of like whatever I take photos of. Anything. Anything. <laughs> this is so epic. It was cool. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you had someone to explore with. Mm -hmm. Javi, what's your opinion, because you've lived in both worlds and deeply in both worlds on social media as mom? Yeah, I think um, I couldn't agree more with what, how Ruby framed it. I think that parents need to trust that their children want to get this right. Um I see so much fear mongering amongst parents of like, oh, this is so scary. You need to control your child. You need to, you know, put all these boundaries and limits. And and I, I'm not disagreeing. Like children need boundaries and structure and stability. Um, at the same time, uh, it's it's an incredible tool. It connects your child with like-minded people, with knowledge and information. Um, you know, people who might feel really isolated in an experience can find community and others like themselves in, uh, you know, through, through social media. Um, and if you do all the work when your children are younger to create trust and safety with them, then that can spill over to their relationship with social media as they take their baby steps in it, where you can trust that they'll come to you if there's something concerning, where you can talk to them about mm -hmm. something that you're concerned about. When Ruby got their first social media, I think it was uh, Instagram, mm -hmm. you know, we had some boundaries around it. Like, you, you need to let me follow you so I can see what you're posting. And we're going to yeah. like sit together sometimes and just look at the stuff that's on your feed and make sure that it's feeling good for you. Yeah. Um, Even recently, I would say like, whenever I feel like something is um, concerning, I, I had like, a funny, embarrassing incident where um, I fell for one of those like Instagram like scam thingies um, because I'm still new to the internet as it turns out and I'm quite vulnerable <laughs> to stuff like that. But I learned a lot um, because I think that that kind of strengthened our relationship too where I realized that like um, I, I kind of immediately went like turned to my mom and I was like, mommy, I fucked up. Like, help me fix the situation. Mm. And then she did. And I think that you're right. It's really important to build that kind of relationship where people, your kids feel comfortable, like, talking to you um, with things because you're, you're going to fuck up. Yeah. And, and you can't, um, you're not always going to be there for, uh, in, right inside of whatever your child is experiencing, even if you put every boundary and rule in place. Yeah. Um, children are sneaky and smart, and they're going to get access to things that they want to get access to, even if you put every control and boundary down. The only thing you can control is your relationship with your children, and that can kind of you know, guide every decision you make, whether it's social media or any other parenting decision. So I always prioritize you know, the, the trust between us and, and the trust that I have in them to to that they want to get this right, that they want to do well around this. And so um, even when they mess up, they're going to want to, you know, learn from it and do better. Um, and they haven't proven me wrong yet. So the environment that you've created for your kids, Javi, is so inspiring and so beautiful. Clearly, you're very close and you figured it out. You did it right. You went through all these incredibly difficult things to get your children out of this community, even just for the opportunity to have choices. 
as Ruby was saying. I think that's such a huge thing and it's so important and it's so beautiful that as a parent, you recognize that you wanted something different for your child and you made all the sacrifices in order to make that happen. Ruby, I would love to hear from you now, having been in both scenarios where you're in the Hasidic community and in where you are now, I guess, what would you even call that in secular life? The big the great big world the great when you're in the great big world out of the box how about we just say that out of the hasidic box um yes now that you can look back and see from a different perspective what your mom had to go through in order to get you to where you are now how does that make you feel i would love to give you this opportunity to even talk directly to your mom and just express how you feel knowing that you have the, the big, beautiful world in front of you because of her sacrifices. I mean, I'm so grateful. And we, we talked about this a little bit this morning um, about how um, growing up I saw, you know, my dad as like this villain and my mom is this like angel because it's a really black and white world and I needed kind of a direction to look. Um, and how growing up has been kind of a, seeing more nuance um, but I think that part of that nuance was seeing just so much of the work that you've done, like, and so part of seeing you as a real person now, because you're a real person, <laughs> um, is just like seeing that you're like a real person and you were so young when you had me and you were doing all of these like really big, scary things. And I, you were, you were my age yeah. when you had me. I can't imagine doing, having a baby right now. I can't imagine like having to like make those giant decisions and like try and change everything, leave everything behind to to uphold your values, like to give your kids a better life. That's like unbelievable in my brain. I can't even fathom and I'm so grateful. Mm. And mm. I love you. I love you, cutie. This means a lot to me. Thanks for giving us this opportunity. This is really special. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love you so much. You guys are making me tear up over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's so beautiful oh my goodness I mean where do we even go from there <laughs> I'm just so happy that both of you are happy and thriving and you're fully expressing yourself and just coming into who you are and as you said it's still a journey and you're but that's the most beautiful part is you don't have to know necessarily you have the option to figure it out and you can ebb and flow and go with what feels good mm -hmm. and I think just having that opportunity is so special because it doesn't feel like you would have had that opportunity and I don't want to say definitively but it doesn't feel like yeah. you would have had that opportunity to be who you are now if you had stayed if your mom hadn't had taken you out so I'm just I love this so much. I'm so happy that you guys got to come on. And I guess I would be remiss and people would be upset if I didn't ask if either of you have been able to or ha if you've wanted to maintain any sort of belief in Judaism or where do you kind of fit in that spectrum now? Where do you fit in that spectrum? Me first? Yeah. Um, so uh, I am an atheist, like I mentioned earlier. So I don't believe in divinity like a god or that any of the you know jewish lore is um true i know that i come from a rich tradition with um a lot of culture and um you know a people who has grappled with all the big questions and i love that i am continuing that chain um and offering that to my children 
and the delicious food. Um, but I don't, um, I definitely don't, um, assign any like value to my being Jewish. It's just a matter of birth. Um, you know, and if I was born in a different culture, I would hope that I would, you know, find joy in being connected to a rich history of people from that culture. So it just is, Mm -hmm. it's not something I'm proud of or, or anything like that. It just is a fact of my identity and history. And, um, I, I like it. I like having something that's, you know, uh, grounds me and connects me to my past. And um, yeah, so I'm an atheist Jew is the way I would frame it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Beautiful. What about you, Ruby? Yeah, I I, I like that. Um, I guess I'm still figuring it out just like everything else. I mean, I'm 20. I don't have anything figured out, but I think that's yeah. okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't believe in a God either. I don't, I don't believe that there's an afterlife. Um, and I guess I'm trying to parse out like all of the the pieces, you know, now, now I'm, I'm doing all the therapies. I'm trying to figure out if what piece, which pieces are trauma, which pieces are things that I can identify with and what feels good. I think that's great because you aren't required to maintain some sort of belief around Judaism and some people may and some people may not. And that's the beauty of individuality and everyone's different stories is whatever feels right to you is what you should do. And that's that's the cult to consciousness part. It's about finding that consciousness, that awareness that feels good, that resonates, that helps you be a better person, helps mm-hmm. you show up in the world a little bit better. And that's amazing. So I want to read this one more comment Uh, from Forgotten Walrus. They said, I grew up in an Orthodox household and in an ultra-Orthodox community and left when I was 16. Mm -hmm. I just want to say this video made me feel so happy and seen. It's so difficult for me to find similar stories to my own. It often feels isolating. Thank you so much for posting this and talking about the topic in a respectful way that does not encourage anti-Semitism. And keep posting videos like this, 94 likes. So I I wanted to end on that because I do think that amplifying people's voices are so important. And I just wanted to thank you both for being open and honest and vulnerable and sharing your stories because really what you're doing is brave. And I think it will inspire a lot of people and also inspire other parent-child relationships to be more open and loving and and. The way that you've done it is so beautiful. So before we go, I would love the Linda Listen moment, either a sassy statement as the toddler, the arguing toddler goes, to uh, someone that you want to really stick it to, or just something inspirational for our viewers, listeners today. So Linda Listen, Um, when you're in a high demand religion, it's easy to think that the people, you know, the, the people directly in your life that are causing your pain but it's important to like kind of take a step back and think about the those systems of oppression that are influencing those people to behave the way that they are like I wanted to blame my dad for a long time for causing me harm or you know my principal for a long time for for hurting me um but and that's not to say that they haven't but it's important to also think about why they act the way that they do and and put the blame where it actually belongs and where it's justified and where um, we can, the, the places that need to change, which is the people in power yeah. that are actively making choices that um, are op- oppressive to communities and controlling to 
you know, for for individuals, like the rabbis yeah. that abuse their power and the judges that don't take their power seriously, and the you know the people in with high amounts of power that that aren't taking accountability for their actions. That's those are the people to put your blame on, and um, that can be really helpful for healing. Yes, I love that. Linda listen, systems, not people. Yeah, Linda listen, Beautiful. systems, not people. Yes. What about you, Javi? You had a really good one. All right, I'll do that like one. Yours. Okay, it just feels like yours is so deep, but I'm going to... All right, Linda listen. <laughs> <laughs> when you're faced with a, a big decision or when you're feeling stuck, uh, what I like to do is think about if this were my child, what would I want for them? You are also a child. And so when you're in a situation where some where you need to like get out of an oppressive religious environment or make that big change, um, you can be a parent to your own child, to yourself, and you can demand that that child gets the best possible life. So do that for yourself and do that for your inner child, just like I would do it for mine, mm -hmm. just like you would do it for your future child or an existing child, because you deserve all the things also. Oh, I love that. Linda, listen, it's okay to parent yourself. I like that one. Amazing. Yes. So good. This conversation has been amazing. If anyone wants to reach out to you, follow you, what are your social media handles? Feel free to contact me at my business collective Instagram. It's called Freedom Art Collective. Um, it's my friends and I. We make jewelry and we sell our stuff sometimes, but I will definitely answer any questions that you have. And folks can find me, uh, Javi Weisberg, or Facebook or Instagram. Uh, I probably won't respond to your messages, but if you write something meaningful, maybe I will. Um, <laughs> Boundaries. <laughs> that's right. I did also want to yes. plug something else, if that's okay. Sure. I mentioned footsteps in the past, in the past interview that we did. Um, please donate to mm -hmm. footsteps if you care about people being raised in these environments and want to help. Mm -hmm. Also, for your listeners in particular, Footsteps runs a group, a monthly support group called Interfaithless, which is a supportive space for folks who are leaving any uh, fundamentalist religious community. And we have a, an incredible mm -hmm. mix of folks, um, ex-Muslims, ex-Mormons, ex-fundamentalist Christians, ex-Hasidic Jews who meet. Uh, it's mostly on Zoom. Um, and so I'm going to give you, I'll send you the link and you can include it if you'd like. Yes, absolutely. I love that. All the resources, please send them. And we will put them in the description below. So do you guys have any final thoughts before we go? Thank you. Shalise, that was lovely. Honestly, that we were able to do something this hard and feel, um, you know, closer than we did before is a gift that you gave us. So, yeah. yeah. Ah, I'm just really excited. This was my first interview I've ever done. And it went so well. I feel like you're a wonderful interviewer. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. You did great. And I'm sure people are just going to love the both of you together. So thanks again for coming on here. And for anyone who wants to support the podcast, you can become a patron, patreon.com slash cults to consciousness, or these super things, which I've been getting and didn't really realize was, was a thing. Uh, I will feature your comments for those two. If you enjoyed this episode, definitely go watch Javi's first episode. I will link it here. And until next time, follow your highest excitement to be conscious and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at cults to consciousness or reach out by email at cults to consciousness at gmail.com.